It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who was called Mal Evans, who was on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Our American Stories, and up next, well, it's a story about our history. Today, Robbie brings us the story about a piece of history you've probably never heard before, and it comes from one of our favorite contributors, Clay Jenkinson. While a wise ruler, a priest, a four-foot block of cheese and a giant loaf of bread baked by the Navy may sound like the makings of a fairy tale, it's actually a true story about our third president, Thomas Jefferson. Here's Clay Jenkinson to tell us more about it. Really, he regarded his election as the second American Revolution. That, and he meant it, that we'd had a revolution in 1776 and then we'd created and installed a government. But that government moved in the wrong direction towards monarchy and aristocracy and a strong central government. And we needed to restore the principles of 1776 so he reluctantly stood for the presidency in 1800 and won. There was such uh, anger against Jefferson in Federalist circles. People thought that he was a dangerous man. He spent too much time in France. He'd been infected by the, the radical principles of the French Revolution, that he was unreliable and, and that he might destroy the country. The great majority of the American people wanted a restoration of the more democratic principles of 1776. One of the places where Jefferson was weak was in Massachusetts and Connecticut and New England, basically. And so in 1801, after his installation as president, 
a minister uh, up in the Cheshire Hills uh, decided that he would do a, a, make a great tribute to Thomas Jefferson uh, by way of creating the world's largest cheese. And so the Reverend Leland uh, decided that he would uh, pay tribute to Jefferson by getting the people of his district to milk their cows and, and present all of that milk to create this cheese, and they did it. They claimed that they only milked Republican cows, never Federalist cows, um, and most of this was collected in a single day. But the resulting cheese was four feet in diameter, 15 inches thick, and it weighed over 1,200 pounds. It weighed 1,235 pounds. And so the Reverend Leland um, had two interests in, in supporting Jefferson. One was to show the country and Jefferson that New England was not 100% Federalist. And the second was in praise of Jefferson's um, principles of separation of church and state. So Jefferson wrote the Virginia Statute for Religious Liberty. It was passed into law in 1786. At that time, it was, the, it was the boldest statement in human history of the need to separate church and state and to protect uh, religious sensibilities from any coercion uh, by the larger public and certainly by the state or national government. And Leland was a Baptist uh, in a state that was largely Presbyterian, and he would have been, he and his sect would have been seen as upstarts non-standard, possibly heretical, and deserving of state persecution, certainly of social shunning uh, in this era. And so these Baptists really counted on Jefferson as their champion because they would not have had a chance to establish their own market share in the world of Christianity had it not been for the tolerance that was being shown and the protection they were getting from uh, people like Jefferson and also James Madison. So now they've built the world's largest cheese, or what they think is the world's largest cheese, but they have to get it to President Jefferson. And there was no FedEx or UPS or adequate postal system at the time to send the cheese. So uh, John Leland decided to deliver it himself. This was actually something of a logistical nightmare. Uh, first he had to take it on a sleigh um, to get it to the Hudson River. Once he got it to the Hudson, they went down in a sloop to New York City and on to Baltimore. And there they transferred this 1,235 pound cheese to a wagon and they hauled it into Washington, D.C., into the new District of Columbia, to the White House, in time for one of Jefferson's two annual White House receptions. Jefferson only opened the White House to the public twice per year, once on the 1st of January and once on the 4th of July. Jefferson uh, didn't quite know what to make of all of this. And while thankful for their gift, Jefferson wanted to make sure that everyone knew this was not a bribe. But what a bribe that would have been. So he actually gave a check of $200 to uh, the congregation that Leland represented so that he would have paid for this uh, cheese and not simply accepted it uh, as a gift from friendly constituents. And then he served some of that cheese at his New Year's reception in 1801. It'd be hard to eat uh, that much cheese. And so we don't know exactly how long this cheese survived. 
accounts vary, but certainly he served it again at the next year's uh, reception on New Year's Day, 1803. So it lasted for more than a year. And there are accounts from contemporary letters and diaries of guests coming to the White House uh, to eat at Jefferson's famous White House dinner parties. And when Jefferson wasn't in the room, asking one of the serving staff, you know, could I see the could I see the cheese? Would you would you show me the cheese? And some people were allowed then to go and, and look at this this monster. Uh, it wasn't refrigerated. Washington is a very hot place, especially in the summer months, and the cheese therefore deteriorated. And, and we have accounts of, of their having to carve out chunks of it from the middle that had molded or gotten runny. But the sense we get from such historical records as still exist is that the cheese lasted a couple of years and was served on at least two New Year's receptions and maybe on other occasions, and that it was sort of wheeled out on a lazy Susan and made available on those occasions because lifting a 1,000-pound or 1,300-pound cheese would be almost impossible, so they had to find a way to, to move it, and they didn't want to leave it simply in one place. The term mammoth cheese came from a Federalist newspaper, referencing one of Jefferson's strange fascinations. Everyone knew that Jefferson had a special interest in the woolly mammoth and the mastodon, and that his friend Charles Wilson Peel was digging up mastodon bones up in New England and displaying them at his museum in Philadelphia. So it soon became known that this was the mammoth cheese, uh, which was a sort of playful, somewhat ironic, slightly irreverent tribute to Jefferson's scientific interests. And Leland became known as the mammoth priest uh, for this stunt. And and he took a lot of ribbing uh, all along the route from uh, Massachusetts to Washington, D.C. and back. But it made him sort of famous. If giant cheese weren't enough, Jefferson would then receive a similarly odd gift from the Navy. Well, then the, the U.S. Navy decided to create the world's largest loaf of bread. And, and they used a whole barrel of flour um, to make um, a prodigy of, of a loaf of bread. The thing about bread, uh, as opposed to cheese, is that bread doesn't stand up very well over time. You, you can't preserve bread for a couple of receptions. You have to serve it. Jefferson was not famous for his interest in the Navy. He actually created the Navy, but Jefferson starved the Navy of funds and not only made the War of 1812 inevitable, but made us nearly lose it once it came. The Navy, in producing the world's largest loaf of bread, or this mammoth loaf of bread, uh, may have had more strategic interests in mind. During a Senate-sponsored party to rally support for a naval war in the Mediterranean, a Navy baker just around noon wheeled in the mammoth loaf, said to be 12 feet in length, 2 feet in breadth, and of suitable height. Along with the loaf, they brought out the remnants of the mammoth cheese, an enormous side of roast beef, and quite a bit of alcohol. President Jefferson stepped up, pulled out his pocket knife, and cut the first slice of bread. From there, all we really know is that the party quickly devolved into a noisy, drunken affair. Probably, if you'd said to Thomas Jefferson at home, if he were in Madison, were were sitting in, in Jefferson's library and having a glass of Bordeaux, and Madison had said, what about the cheese? Jefferson probably would have rolled his eyes and said, this is the sort of thing that happens in a democratic culture. You know, P.T. Barnum was right. You know, 
The American people love stuff like this. They love carnival. They love freaks. They love prodigies. They love fairs. And to this day, you know, you go to the state fair in Iowa and you'll see a giant butter sculpture of Elvis Presley. We have the world's largest Holstein cow in North Dakota and Minnesota has the world's largest prairie chicken and the world's largest pelican and the world's largest walleye and so on. This is just some zany part of the American spirit. Indeed, and you've been listening to Clay Jenkinson tell the story of the mammoth cheese and the mammoth loaf. And great job, as always, to Robbie. Clay Jenkinson is the director of the Dakota Institute and co-host of Public Radio's Thomas Jefferson Hour. So he knows a little bit about the subject, the story of the mammoth cheese and the mammoth loaf, here on Our American Story. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man, who's called Mal Evans, who's on roadie, and uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane, and he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.